Welcome everyone to our NCAA social series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Robert Gates, former Secretary of Defense, President of Texas A&M, former Director of the CIA, and was the Chancellor at William & Mary. As I lay that out, you can see that he's served at the university level and at the highest levels of our government. Uh, Dr. Gates, you are also an independent member of the Board of Governors and now heading up the Constitution Committee. So you've worn many hats. I, I want to go back to some of the leadership roles that you've had at the highest level of our government to a university. Um, when you look at a committee of people that you need to lead, what aspects of that group are you looking forward to in terms of getting everyone together for a common goal? Sure. Well, first of all, happy to be with you today. Um, let me start in this way. In each of these institutions, whether it was the intelligence community, which is CIA plus another 15 agencies, which I led, um, the Defense Department, Texas A&M, or one other thing that I did was uh, the national president of the Boy Scouts, in each of those institutions, um, I led pretty dramatic change uh, in one way or another. And, and my experience has been when leading change, <clears throat> that the more inclusive and transparent the process, um, the more likely you are to be successful. Uh, because if people are included in the process, if they feel like they've had the opportunity to get their oar in the water, uh, to be heard, to be respected, even if a decision goes against them, they're more willing to go along and support the decision uh, because, uh, because of the way that they were treated in the process. So that's been kind of once, once I was asked to uh, chair this committee, that was the approach that uh, uh, that uh, I felt we should take. And that was one of the reasons why uh, when this committee got started, uh, I felt it was important to survey uh, the membership of the, uh, of the NCAA. So the survey we sent out actually ended up going to some 8,000 uh, presidents and chancellors, athletic directors, conference commissioners, coaches, student athletes, um, senior women administrators, uh, those in charge of health and uh, well-being and so on. Because I think it's really important that the committee hear directly from people in the program who both lead it and who are the primary focus of it, the student athletes, uh, as we go about trying to figure out what changes need to be made. So my approach, finally getting to answering your question, my approach to uh, this committee was first of all, to make sure the committee itself uh, represented a variety of uh, interests around the NCAA, but that we took an approach that was as open and as transparent as we could possibly make it and at the same time, uh, get the views directly of people who would be impacted by any uh, recommendations uh, that we make. So to that point, I mean, I, I'm sure in your career, there were a number of different times where you had to lean on advisors, whether they were 
military or intelligence uh, or other faculty. Uh, at the same time, you have to make a decision. Uh, how do you balance sort of taking in that information to make an informed decision while, while also knowing that you're still having to make a decision at the end of the day because it's your name at the top? Well, this is a little different in the respect that uh, this is not going to be my decision. No, I know that. I'm just yeah. going back to how you were able to <laughs> no, balance I, all I that. I understand, but but I, I would say that um, my, my going in principle in those circumstances was uh, was always um, to start with the premise that I wasn't the smartest person in the room and to surround myself with the smartest people I could find and uh, and then draw on their knowledge and their insights and, and their perceptions, but then integrate it with my own experience and, and my own sense of responsibility. And so a lot of decisions I made uh, reflected the views of, of a wide range of people uh, who's, who's uh, integrated my own. The decisions that I made when I was Secretary of Defense to, uh, to cut the, uh, the medevac time in Afghanistan from two hours to one hour where frankly, everybody, every senior military and civilian official in the Department of Defense opposed changing. They said it won't make any difference and, and it's gonna take a lot of resources to be able to do that. And I just said, well, you know, at a certain point, um, I'm interested in your views and I, I thank you for them, but I've got the responsibility and I think we have a moral obligation to these kids that if they're wounded, if, you know, if I'm a soldier, I want a helicopter and been blown up, I want a helicopter there. And I, I said, I have a, we have a moral obligation to them. And so I made that decision actually against uh, the advice of all of the people around me. So every now and then a leader is gonna have to stake out a position and say, this is the right thing to do. And this is what we're gonna do. And I hear that, I hear all of you, I've heard all of you. Uh, but I disagree. Uh, in this case, uh, I think what we have to keep in mind uh, in terms of changing the Constitution is that come January, we are going to have to be able to persuade two-thirds of the membership that the changes we've proposed are, are the right way for uh, the association to go. And so this isn't gonna be any one person's decision. And therefore it puts an even greater premium on outreach, on um, uh, getting as many points of view as we can and then trying to figure, sort our way through all of that and make, uh, and make some concrete recommendations. And, and that's where I was sort of going at is that when I think back to your career, I don't know if there's another group that is as diverse as this one, where you've got division one, two, three, public, private, small, large, uh, you know, south, north, west, midway. I mean, so many different interests, so many different levels, certainly financially, uh, at all different levels. Um, and they all want to have a say. So how do you how do you get all these different types of agendas to at least funnel? toward some sort of common change 
that's going to need to be occurred at all divisions? Well, first of all, I would say that being the president of a huge university uh, does provide some precedence. There's a, there's a, a great deal. And I think when I was president, Texas A&M was the fifth largest university in the country. I think it's even uh, uh, bigger now, substantially bigger now. But when it comes to uh, getting faculty agreement to do things, when it gets, when it comes to getting administrators, deans, faculty, department heads, and students all on the same page, and alumni, um, I think you know you've got you've got some precedents that uh, that uh, that any university president will appreciate in terms of how you how you herd all those cats. Uh, I think I think what we're going to have to do is is you know, particularly, uh, I mean, I, I made this comment in one of our meetings, I think our meeting last week. Um, I think our first premise should be first do no harm. Um, division two and division three actually are pretty comfortable with where they are. And, and I think there's some apprehension uh, in division two and division three about where this might go. And so it was particularly with respect to those two divisions in particular uh, that I said, well, we just need to keep in front of us first do no harm. And, and so we are, are gonna have to come up with uh, proposed changes to the constitution that I think are significant and be in a position to persuade uh, the membership that this is the way the the association needs to go. I mean, the fact is there's a lot of unhappiness uh, with the association. Uh, the association faces a lot of challenges uh, from the courts, from the Congress, from the states, from various, from the diversity of schools that you mentioned. Um, and, and I think that there's a very, a pretty broad consensus that there is a need for significant change what that change constitutes is not entirely clear. And there's no consensus about that, certainly at this point. So I think our job is to try and figure out uh, what changes will, um, will help the association, but most importantly, what changes will, will make it easier for colleges and universities to serve their student athletes and to enhance the success of their athletic programs uh, in the academic context. And, and I think that's what we have to keep in front of us. This isn't really about how do we make, how do we make the bureaucratic organization of the NCAA better? It's how do we get a lot of the impediments and the problems that we're facing uh, behind us and what changes do we need to do to do that? So Dr. Gates, you were present, as you said, at one of the uh, largest universities in the country, certainly um, one of the higher profile uh, college athletic programs in Texas A&M. Um, why do you think we're in this position now from when you were the president of A&M to now to where there's this need for major change? Well, I, I think, you know, the world's been, the world's moved on. It's uh uh, I left Texas A&M 15 years ago, and, and there's a, a lot has changed. Uh, the money involved uh, in college sports was, was important then. It's become a really big uh, uh, issue, not issue, but a big 
factor today. Um, I think that there is certainly much more uh, focus on issues like uh, inclusion and diversity, on gender equity. Uh, these are all receiving a lot more attention today than they did uh, when I was at AM. I mean, we were all very mindful even then of our Title IX responsibilities, for example. And, but I think they've just moved to the forefront in the NCAA. And then, you know, there's, there's the Supreme Court case, there's the state legislation uh, that's going on in dozens of states. Uh, there's interest and action on the part of the Congress. So, so there are a lot of actors that have become involved uh, in um, intercollegiate athletics that were not uh, on the scene or not as prominent as they were when I was president of Texas A&M. So to this point, you have had three <laughs> meetings so far. Um, and I know... Uh, you know, you talk about transparency, uh, but nothing is baked in a cake, so to speak. So things can change over the next couple of months. But where is the committee at this point after three meetings? Well, we basically are still in the listening mode. So we basically, we, the way we uh, structured this process was first, we would spend a month or so. For, we have a very tight deadline. We have to have a, a draft constitution to the Board of Governors by 15th of December. Um, and so we've structured the process. The first month or so is sort of listening and learning. And we're, we're still in that phase. We have another week or so in that phase. And, and that's when we are getting the results of the conducting and getting the results of the survey. All of the members of the committee have been engaged in outreach to their peers, to counterparts and, and others and friends and, relation, and people that they have relationships with across the country and in schools and universities. Um, we are listening to, uh, uh, we will get a briefing next week from the leaders of the Knight Commission on their recommendations. Um, we got a briefing yesterday on, on the allocation of money uh, and how that's done uh, within, within the NCAA. Uh, so we're basically learn in the learning phase and that, that probably will begin to wrap up in the next week or so. Then we will go into the phase of, okay, now having heard everybody, having gathered all this information, we begin to hone in on, well, okay, what kind of changes do we need to make? And I think they will range from <clears throat> things from, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, restating some things in a different way. Um, clearly, there needs to be changes in the Constitution to accommodate NIL. Uh, and, and, but where we go and how far we go with that is totally open. Um, and then, and then you get to basic structural issues. Do we, do we devolve much greater authority and autonomy to the divisions? Uh, 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 how do we fix what almost what most people, at least in Division One, think is a is a broken enforcement process uh, at a minimum that takes way too long. Uh, to get decisions. And sometimes those decisions aren't consistent. 
So, so we will be then developing options during the course of the next month to, uh, to begin to sort out kind of what, what kind of options do we wanna put in front of the special convention on the 15th of November. Here are some different ways to deal with this problem. Here are these options, what do you think? So the special convention really is, is a culmination of the, of the interactive process of uh, before we begin to put a draft together. We have not, there is no draft constitution. There is no, there is no secret uh, 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 solution that's been, that's kind of hidden in somebody's desk drawer um at all this is a completely open process and and frankly i wouldn't lead anything other than that um and and i probably have some ideas that uh, go beyond what others are prepared to agree to we'll just see um, and we'll see what other members of the committee uh have so we'll we'll put together these options we'll then have the special convention and then based on the feedback we get at the special convention we will then prepare a draft constitution to submit to the Board of Governors on December 15th. So that's the process that we have, and it's kind of three phases, the listening and learning, developing options, and, and then drafting a, um, a proposed constitution and then moving it on to the Board of Governors. You mentioned that Division Two and Three probably don't want massive change. Um, what do you think potentially is sort of untouchable uh, as you look at college athletics? Well, I think, I, I think just to be clear, the one thing that's pretty obvious to me and of particular importance um, to division two and three is the percentage allocation of, uh, of the funding uh, that they get from the NCAA. Um, you know, the reality we have to bear in mind is that we need two thirds of the membership uh, to vote in favor of a proposed constitution. Division two and three by themselves have about two thirds of the votes uh, in that conference. So we're gonna have to make sure <clears throat> that division two and division three uh, are content uh, with what we come up with, or at least can abide what we come up with. Uh, so I would say uh, if I had to pick one thing that probably is not negotiable, it would be the percentage allocations for division two and three. And, and two years from now, five years from now, what do you think we will see as the most significant change that potentially could come out of this committee? Well, I, I would hope that it would be um, a, uh, an NCAA that, uh, that is flexible enough to change and, uh, and even grow uh, with the times. I think one of the concerns that people have is that change is so hard in the NCAA. Uh, no one ever would use the words NCAA and nimble in the same sentence. Um, and, and so I think, a, I think, a, a big part of this is can we create, can we begin with the premise that almost everybody is saying that one size doesn't fit all? So how do we distribute authority uh, and responsibility within intercollegiate athletics 
in a way that provides the flexibility to respond to changing times and to do so in a timely way. Uh, I think that more than any specific issue, it's, it's the ability to adapt uh, that, that, is, that is really going to be important. And do we create a constitution that allows for quicker decision-making that allows, uh, that enforces the, or reinforces the principle that one size doesn't fit all. Um, my own view, and it's just a personal view at this point, is that uh, we need to devolve more authority to the divisions uh, and in terms of how they organize themselves and so on. Uh, so, you know, and I think that gives you greater flexibility going forward rather than trying to change the entire enterprise, uh, giving the divisions the opportunity to flex and change depending on circumstances. So three to five years from now, an NCAA that's looked upon as, uh, as having adapted to the times, uh, to, a, to a, new, uh, a new era, and, and that has built in the kind of flexibility that allows it to continue to be relevant in the future. And, and lastly, Dr. Gates, at the beginning of this, I rattled off your career. Uh, it is historic. It's, it's uh, obviously an incredible run at various levels, as I said, of government and higher education. Um, why do you even want to do this? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, when I was, when, when I was approached by the uh, chairman of the uh, board of governors about being one of the five independent members. Uh, you know, having, I mean, I had a great experience at Texas A&M. I love being president of that university and I, and I love being the chancellor at William Mary, even though it's totally ceremonial. Um, but I, I, um, I thought it would be interesting. I, it's one of those things where I just had no idea how interesting it was going to be. And, and I made the mistake of speaking up in a board of governors meeting about what I thought was wrong with the NCAA and, and that I thought there was a total misalignment of authorities and responsibilities in the association and, and that there were some significant problems. And, and um, I clearly had put my foot in my mouth because the next thing I knew I was being asked to uh, chair this committee. Well, it's an honor to talk to you during this uh, social series, and I have hope that we will converse again as more progress is made over the next few months and uh, you know into January as well. Uh, Dr. Robert Gates, appreciate your time, and as always, uh, everyone can go to ncaa.org/social-series where we have all our social series archived over the last eighteen plus months. Thanks for watching, everyone.